That when young John Havlicek came along in 1962, John Havlicek, uh, and and was not anything remotely close to a starter, uh, he told me that he was getting prepped by Frank Ramsey uh, about what to do when you get into the game. And the first thing is to make sure that your warm-up suit, which was ready to get shed quickly, have the jacket unloosened. You don't have it in your sleeve, and you know, have it around your neck. Get in there fast, son. That's the first thing he learned about the, the um, logistics of becoming a six-man. CLNS History is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Red Auerbach uh, was a big champion of the concept of, of not necessarily having your best five players start the game, but and if your roster is deep enough that you can have that, afford that luxury, uh, that's great. And he, he, he did have a roster that deep. Frank Ramsey was the first noted Celtics sixth man. Uh, though only 6'3", it was a different era. He could get away with playing some forward, and he was basically a, a, a hybrid player, a forward, a guard, igniter. He came into the game and, and could start shooting and, and hitting right away. And he was okay with it. Now, he's, he's in the Hall of Fame. And he, he's, he's, he, he was okay with it. It was, it was fine with him. He was, he was a, a good team guy. Ramsey, when I came here, he said, I'm so glad you're here because you're going to add two years to my life because I can't do it as much as I used to, and I'm here, I'm hoping you'll help me. And you know, that was a totally different type of thing because when you most of the time go to a training camp, everyone thinks they're going to be taking your job. Well, Tommy Heinsohn was a two-cigarette man at half. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he'd be a little winded? Right. Uh, we knew he was on the last about five or six minutes. Yeah. So uh, it was interesting uh, to play with all those guys. Now, some of those teams, I think I looked in the picture I had on the wall, and I think nine people in that uh, picture, including uh, Walter Brown and Brett Auerbach, were in the Hall of Fame. You had Cousy and Charmin were starters. Yeah. And then uh, uh, it is a natural thing when a substitute comes in you ease up a little bit all of a sudden casey jones and sam jones replaced Coosey and Charmin, and uh, we kept building up the score no question frank ramsey was the first sixth man of prominence there's no question so that when young john havlicek came along in 1962 uh and and was not a, anything remotely close to a starter uh he told me that he was getting prepped by frank ramsey uh, about what to do when you get into the game. And the first thing is to make sure that your warm-up suit, which everybody wore then and which nobody wears now, uh, was ready to get shed quickly. Have the jacket unloosened. Don't have it in your sleeve, in, in your, you know, have it around your neck. Get, get the, the pants, which were snap-ons, I think, ready to go. Get in there fast, son. 26 to 25 in favor of Minneapolis at the quarter. Branham into McCauley. Out to Ramsey, and we're in a good spot to watch him shoot. The next Kentucky star is quite a rookie. That's the first thing he learned about the, the um, logistics of becoming a six man. All right, so Ramsey retires circa 63, and Havlicek inherits the role. And is, he is the perfect six man in, in, in this following census. He is a true multi position player. He is a forward, and he is a, and he can play guard. He has tried to himself to be a guard. He had been exclusively a forward at Ohio State, but he uh, very resourceful, very cerebral. Figured out uh, the passport to success was to become versatile and make himself useful in that capacity. Ramsey takes it down fast. He, of course, was humble, had no problem coming off the bench, and he fulfilled Red Auerbach's concept of 
having his best five players on the floor at the end of the game rather than necessarily at the beginning. And Havlicek, of course, uh, accumulated vast minutes as a, uh, as a six-man. We were the best up-tempo team, fast-break team in the league because we had Russell rebounding and me rebounding and uh, uh, Kuzi making the passes. And Kuzi had this hook pass, three-quarter length hook pass uh, on the go. And Havlicek was the perfect guy uh, to play on a fast-break team. And he was one of Kuzi's favorite targets. I think his rookie year, he averaged like 14 points a game. And uh, I don't think he took a shot for more than 10 feet. By the second year uh, in 1963-64, uh, he, he was either second or third in the team in minutes played. So, uh, but he did not start these games. He was coming off the bench and being used in a strategic manner. Uh, as time went on, he became not just a two position player, but a three position player because in my time, which began in 1969-70, uh, by that time, John had become quite proficient at running a team. Uh, he had turned himself into a quite good surrogate point guard, as well as a, a, a run up and down the floor, a killer forward, move out the ball guy at either forward position or a shooting guard. As, and, but he also could handle the ball well enough, run fast breaks, direct a team, act as a point guard. So they had, still in this day, I'd say the only true legitimate three position six man of prominence that the NBA has ever known. And that was John Havlicek. Uh, that was his, his, his identity. And Tom Heinsohn even wanted to maintain it when he became coach in 1969 uh, by bringing John off the bench. Well, that he, his, his roster, however, was not deep enough to afford that luxury. Uh, and that was a very, very, very brief experiment of a couple of games. And from that point on, John was uh, playing uh, full time as, as a, a starter. Now, I have to go back that in the 1969 finals against the Lakers, that uh, John played all but two minutes of the series. You heard me. Now, and so uh, at that point, he, he, he had become a starter, but Heinsohn wanted to revert, but it didn't work. And, and that was the last time in the early 60, 1969-70 season that John was coming off a bench. So John Havlicek established himself, uh, and, and at this point becomes, quite frankly, and, and people don't quite understand this, the best player in the NBA from circa 1969 to 1974. When you think of his style, he was, um, he, he made, he was, he was a shot, he was a shot maker. Okay. So he could be off balance, he'd be leaning in, he'd be doing something, you know, he had, he had that kind of game too. He didn't have to just be all set up. Like for me, if I was set up nice and fundamental, I had a good chance of making it. Mm -hmm. You had me drifting and all that stuff, I probably wouldn't even be that good. John wasn't like that. He could make that adjustment in the air. Really good shooters can. We played in Boston against Milwaukee, made that teardropper over yeah. Jabbar. When yeah. Jabbar right. was really challenging. He went just at the last second, threw it up high. Then he had the one, he came down on a break and hit the rim and came back at him. John Havlicek took the shot that could have tied it, but missed. But Hondo wouldn't quit. He followed his own shot with just five seconds left, tied the score again. So he was one of those kind of guys that he was, you know, you had to pay attention to all the time. Because like you say, he moved without the ball. You know what was a good matchup? It was him and Bradley. It was yeah. always a good matchup because they were kind of the same milk, just Bradley wasn't as good as John. Because West was losing it a little bit, still was great, but he wasn't as great. Oscar was definitely starting to lose it a little bit. He was better than both of them. People don't realize this. He guarded both of them, he outplayed both of them, uh, played two positions with neither one did, and quite frankly, was the best player in the league uh, at, at, at below center. 
It was the era of the centers, however, a period of 20 years in which the most valuable player in the award went to a center all but one year. John never won MVP. He was worthy of it. But West never won one either, and he was worthy of it. Man, he just never stopped running. He ra They rarely put him on the bench. You know, in a 48-minute game, I know he was playing 42 to 43 minutes. And this is even when he was in his mid-30s and late-30s, he was, he was playing a lot of minutes. For a 13-time NBA All-Star, all I wanted was one, but I guess he took them off of me. <laughs> and five-time All-Defensive player. And that's what I love uh, about him. Is that My uncle used to have us sit down and watch the Celtics back in the 60s. They said, watch that guy number 17. Watch the way he plays. And he pretty much did everything. He was a good ball handler. He was a good defender, a good passer. And, and have a check, um, uh, for lack of a better word, this was in our neighborhood. He was called the third lung white boy because <laughs> he just ran all day. He ran yeah, all, all day. All day. All day. Hit all the shots that you could. But I mean, his, he has two lives in the sense as a great player. The six-man role, which he perfected, and has the award named for him appropriately and the fact that he became the most uh, proficient player in the league, uh, playing 45 minutes and up uh, as a starter, starting with the 1969-70 season. Okay, that's the first of the Celtics' great six men. You've helped us win many championships. What more can I say? Thank you, Boston. I love you. The second one was Kevin McHale. Noted that one in the middle. Roby would have had a good chance to get an easy two. And here comes the rookie from the University of Minnesota, Kevin McHale. Inside McHale, Kevin wants it. Good fake. Got to. Kevin McHale is a, was as a rookie established that he could play both forward and center, better at forward, quite frankly, but uh, and and, uh, and being an effective center when needed. But he would, but just do keep in mind that Bill Fitch, when he was in his bad mood in 1983 after the team was swept by the Bucks, did say, "quote If Kevin McHale had to make a living in the center, he'd starve." Well, that was, that was mean and cool, and that was typical Bill. I love Bill, by the way, but he had that side note. Uh, Kevin, he, he, he decided, he felt that Kevin was much better as a forward. He was okay as a center, but he was unstoppable, unguardable as a forward. God isn't their problem. They obviously need consistent inside help, but we right. The best low post man, other than I have to give Kareem his due, uh, you know, other than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or in addition to, to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, of the last 50 years, the best low post man, unequivocally, was and an, an technician in the, in the low post was Kevin McHale. And he had more moves than Kareem. Kareem had the the the, the hook, the great memorable sky hook, and a little turnaround jumper. McHale had. He could post up on either box, turn to the right, turn to his left, had up and under moves, stutter step moves, had, had a variety of moves, and which Yubi Brown labeled once his bank vault of moves, quote unquote. Um, he, he was 
temperamentally suited to come off the bench. It didn't bother him. He knew he was going to get the big minutes. McHale over him. Make it 10-6, Gamble. Back to burn the clock's at seven. McHale with a dotted line turn and gun. He Kevin shows a lot of moves. Jimmy's got to knock him off that close area. He's got to get him off the block area. McHale wants it low inside. Great pass to Bird who cut to the hole inside. McHale against Budak. The jump hook and he hit it. But the Celtics already have it. Who's he was going to be on the floor at the end? And 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 he gave the Celtics a a, a, a lift. Uh, the best big man, uh, the best six man in the league, uh, the whole time he was doing playing six man. Credit to hard playing basketball. Which ended at the 85 86 season after Cresic Maxwell was traded to LA and Kevin became a full time starter. Uh, the team could no longer afford that luxury of bringing him off the bench. They needed him in the ball game uh, for 40 minutes, and that's what they would get. So, Kevin McHale's assets, though, go far beyond just scoring. 6'11 uh, defensively, I, I can I can name or recall because he guarded everybody from 6'4 guys up to Ralph Sampson at 7'4. Uh, he was the guy that they asked to guard Dominic Wilkins. He's the guy who was asked uh, to guard Julius Serving. He, he he guarded small forwards, he guarded big forwards, he guarded centers. And and he had uh, he wasn't the quickest guy in the world, but he had good quick feet and he had extraordinary uh, uh, a length of arms, a ranks fan was enormous with his great long arms and he had intelligence. Uh, he knew how to play and he had great timing as a, as a shot blocker. Because his first great moment that people remember as a shot blocker was in game six in 1981 down in Philly when he blocked Andrew Tony's shot late, late, late in the game and, and retrieved the ball off the backboard. Uh, that's the first signature shot block that people know, though he probably did have good blocks before that. I remember him taking care of guys like Dan Roundfield when, when he was at his peak uh, and, and and shutting him down. Um, so Mikhail, fine, there was, that was his role. And, and, and but once, once uh, the 85, 86 came, he became a starter and, and, and that was that as far as being a six man. Then comes the most unusual six man in NBA history. Let's go present Pop. Okay, thank you. This is the highlight of my life. I, you know, I don't know what else to say. I got a bowl, I got a hat, <laughs> I got a shirt, and a, and a proclamation here. There's nothing left to do with smile, smile, smile. You heard what I said. Bill Walton was the unusual six-man in NBA history because no team in the history of this league has ever brought a seven-footer off the bench to alter games in the manner that Bill Walton did. He is the most, the greatest seven, this backup, quote unquote, ha-ha, backup center the league has ever known in that season of 85-86, giving yourself it's the greatest one-two center punch in the history of the game. Uh, when he would come in the game, and if it happened to be against the backup center, he and Larry almost teased them. It was almost like they were playing a private game of, of, of their own. Uh, they, they ran a give and go better than has been run in this league ever. Give and go. I didn't say pick and roll. I said give and go. And you said, what's that? Uh, what's so tricky about a give and go? Well, 
after Bird passed the ball to Walton, he made his cut. No one knew what Bill Walton was going to do. The timing was altered. Sometimes he hit him right away. Sometimes he waited until he got at the, at the uh, right side of the basket. Sometimes he waited until Bird had crossed over on the left side and hooked one over his shoulder. He maybe sometimes bounced past. He maybe you, he maybe faked once and gave it the other time. You didn't know what he was going to do. They couldn't stop that, that, that uh, give and go. Greatest give and go the NBA's ever seen. They were together a, a priceless pair. And Walton, unsurprisingly that year, played 80 out of 82 games. Made all the practices, all the two-a-days when they did two-a-days. The only time in his career he ever played anywhere near that much. That, that, that and the only time he was injured, uh, he broke a nose and he was sick once. And um, uh, other than that, uh, uh, he, he managed to avoid injuries to his limbs, which is remarkable. It was a gift from the gods and a gift for the Celtics and a gift for Bill Walton and a gift for the fans and a gift for basketball everywhere to watch Bill Walton perform, particularly with Larry Bird. Uh, it didn't last. He got hurt the next year before the preseason even started, supposedly riding the exercise bike, played two ga 10 games that year and ended with a dismal performance in the, say, 87 playoffs. Sadly, he went out. Bill Walton, though, identifies as a Boston Celtic. He won that championship in Portland, but... You ask him what's the proudest, happiest year he ever spent, he will tell you it was 85, 86 with the Boston Celtics. 27 years ago, the Celtics gave me a chance, a chance to be a part of something special. And it has changed my life immeasurably. But what I learned here was so much greater than anything that I possibly imagined. He loved every aspect of being a Celtic. Uh, so he was the, the sixth man, unlike we've, one we've ever seen. No, I'll repeat, no sixth man has ever altered the game in the manner that Bill Walton did. Walton on the right side, off the glass, and go! Bill Walton makes it a 28-point lead! Comes to Seasting. To win for two! It'd be cool in his Bill Walton. My wife Lynn says to him, yeah, Kevin's got your picture. I had a picture of you on his wall. And I'm like, oh, jeez. You know, I'm like, yeah, I did. Okay. I, you know, he's like one of my idols, you know. We all worshipped Walton. Walton was a, a legend to us. I had no idea what it was going to be like. I knew the basketball would be good. I didn't know how good. It seems like it was yesterday. And the joy and the happiness and the optimism and the hope that was brought back into my life. Not really by anything that I had done other than the choice to come back here. I, I doubt that we'll ever see anything like that again. So that's number three. And now we have the latest recipient of the John Hevelcheck Sixth Man Award in Malcolm Brockton. He is central casting sixth man as a one position player. Congratulations. Thank you. What went through your mind when you found out you were Uh, man, just happy. Um, a lot of sacrifice this year, a lot of hard work building up to this year. Um, a lot of just like excitement and anticipation, not for the award, but for this season. And, um, you know, this team, this group of guys, this organization has been what I thought it would be and, and what I wanted it to be. Um, so, um, you know, I'm in a really good situation. Uh, this team, this organization, my, my teammates have been, uh, you know, the biggest part of the reason why I won that award. So. Um, it's a team award, man. Everybody's sacrificing. We all have, a, I think, a bigger goal in mind, but this is recognition for me and for the group. He's a guard. 
but he's a he's a multi-skilled guard. And by nature, he's probably a, a two guard, a shooting guard, but he can handle and run the ball club as well. He gives them versatility. He gives them uh, uh, anything they need at the time offensively. Because uh, in this modern game, he has the three-point shot. Uh, he, 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 he just he has a mid-range game. He can go to the basket ambidextrously. Um, he's a dream offensive player. He's also a shutdown defensive player and uh, has that for a package as a, as a sixth man. And he also is temperamentally suited to be one. Uh, he had been only a starter, uh, primarily in his, in his previous role, averaging as many as 20 points a game. But his his, his own humility and, and, and eagerness to be a part of a, a great team has trumped any desire to, to worry about starting. He gets it. He gets it completely. Uh, he's an ideal teammate. He's the ideal six man. So those are the four. Those are the four six men that the Boston Celtics have had. And uh, uh, I'd like to see that team together. I wouldn't like to see a team of for those four just put uh, put you or me with them. Uh, but Mikhail out there with Walton and with Havlicek. Oh my God, right there. And then with Brogdon. And then you know you pick a you pick another guy to come off the bench and 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 uh, I think we'd have a pretty good team. Sign up at fanduel.com slash Boston and get in on the action with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. The exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network.